Mark 9, verse number 14. The Bible says, And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude about them in the scribes questioning them. And straightway all the people, when they beheld him, were greatly amazed, and running to him, saluted him. And he asked the scribes, What question ye with them? And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have, a, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And who, wheresoever he taketh, I'm not preaching on teenagers tonight, amen. <laughs> and one of the multitude, I can say that because I was one. And one of the multitude answered and said, Master, I have brought unto thee my son, which hath a dumb spirit. And whosoever he taketh, uh, wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, and he foameth, and he gnasheth with his teeth, and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. And he answered him, said, and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him unto me. And they brought him unto him, and when he saw him, straightway the spirit tear him, and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. And he asked his father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, of a child. And oft times it had cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But if thou canst do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that the people came running together, he rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and ran him sore and came unto him, and he was as one dead, insomuch that many said he is dead. And Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he was coming to the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast him out? And he said unto them, This kind come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. And they departed thence and passed through Galilee. And he would that any man, and he would not that any man should know it. For he taught his disciples and said unto them, The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him, and after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. And they understood not the saying, and were afraid to ask him. Let's pray to Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you again for tonight, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that we have the, that truth, Lord, that you really do care about us and care for us and intervene in our lives in most miraculous ways. Lord, I pray, Lord, you'd help us tonight to never let that become a small thing. We're so thankful tonight in the midst of the storms of life, Lord, there is one who is consistent and constant in our life, and it's you. Help us tonight, Lord, just to stay close to you. Lord, underneath the, 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 the shadow of your wing tonight, Lord, help us to have that close, personal walk with you and God, in the midst of the storm, God, we don't run off and we don't run out, but rather we run to you. Lord, you are our strong tower and our high tower tonight. We're thankful for that. We pray, Lord, tonight that you just help us to glean from the word of God something, uh, God, that isn't just a, a wonderful truth and, and something good to hear, but God, something we can apply in our everyday life, Lord. We ask you, Lord, tonight you speak directly to us through your word tonight. Apply it to our hearts and our lives tonight. And Lord, let us know, Lord, that you're dealing with us on a personal level. Well, we love and we thank you for tonight. Thank you for being so good to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. I set you up right here tonight with what's going on here. Uh, 
Jesus, Peter, James, and John have gone to the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus has transformed himself into his glorified body and Peter, James, and John were there to see it and, they, and Peter comes up with that great idea, let's build some tents and God says, no, just listen to my son, uh, my beloved son whom I'm well pleased. And so now they are coming down off the Mount of Transfiguration and they come into a scene where the other disciples are, are struggling and they're trying their best to help this man and his son who is possessed with an evil spirit and they're trying their best to fix it and they can't. They are doing everything they know to do and it's not where you ever been there in your life where you're trying to do everything right, you're trying to do what you know to do and it's, it seems like you're just spinning tires, you're not getting anywhere and you get frustrated and you're about to the point to give up and it's just not working, it's just not clicking, it's just not going together. And it's one of those, I understand if I was doing it wrong, then okay. I understand if I, was, if, I was, if I was going about it the wrong way, then I could understand that. If I didn't know the know-how, then that's one thing. But it's one thing when I know that I'm doing everything right in the way that's supposed to be done, and it's still not working. It, it, it produces an aggravation that's hard to match in our lives. And that's what we see the disciples here. Now, notice here, they're trying to do it right, right? They're, they are, they're trying to do what Jesus has commissioned them really to do and told them to do. It's what they were told in uh, Mark 6, 7. Jesus sent them out two by two. And the Bible says he gave them power over unclean spirits, evil spirits. And so here they are. They're thinking, I'm in my element. This is what God has called me to do. And it's not working. Even though they want it to happen, I, I guarantee not only the disciples want to happen, this man's father wants to see his son made whole again, and it's just not working. And then uh, they're in the right place. Jesus is near to them, right? And it's still not working. They're trying to figure all this out. And not only is it not working, now the scribes have come over to this, and then in their critical attitude and the critical spirit are asking the disciples this question well, why isn't it working? Why can't you do? what you said Jesus has told you to do. Why is it not working? And now they've got all, and they're asking questions that they can't answer, right? If they knew the answer to why it wasn't working, then they would make it work. You ever lost something and somebody walks up to you and says, where's the last place you left it? <laughs> if I knew that, it wouldn't be lost anymore. Or they ask you this, where, is, uh, where did you lose it? Well, if I knew that, <laughs> it wouldn't be lost anymore. And if you can answer that, then it wouldn't be. And here's the thing, if they knew why it wasn't working, then they could easily fix the problem. But if we do see it or not that when, there's, when things in our life just aren't working, it's just not clicking, it's just not playing out like it's supposed to play out, I want you to notice there's three things we need to check. Three things we need to check when life isn't just, when life isn't working out. And when, when things aren't just working, I'm gonna give you three things tonight we'd need to check. Three areas in our life we need to step back and evaluate and say, well, maybe I got off somewhere here or here or here. Let me start here and see if that's the reason why things aren't working. Notice number one, when things aren't working, the first place we need to check is for an unbelieving heart. We need to check for an unbelieving heart. Now tonight, if I were to generally ask you tonight, do you believe God can do anything? Well, we'd all raise our hands and say, preacher, I believe that. I believe God can do anything, right? But I think if we sat down, we began to question one another, we began to pry and search on an individual basis, we might find some things or some situations in our life and some scenarios in our life that we've begun to doubt. Can God actually do this? 
Is God actually going to save them? Is God actually going to solve this? Is God actually going to fix this? We see here tonight in verse number 24, we, we hear this plea of an unbelieving heart from the father. The Bible says, And straightway the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, but help thou my unbelief. Or help thou my unbelief. Now you got to hear, he said, I believe. And the next breath he says, I don't believe. There's areas in my life where, where he says, I, I know you're God, I've heard what you can do, but I'm not so sure about my situation. See, sometimes when we think just on the general spectrum tonight, we know that God can do anything. He's the God that spoke the world into existence. He's the God that parted the Red Sea. He's the God that did all that we talked about on Sunday night and all that we're celebrating this time of the year. He's God that came in flesh and died for us. We know there's nothing that God cannot do tonight. God is able and above, uh, able to do all things tonight. But sometimes when it's our personal situation, we sit back and say, well, I'm not sure about this. I'm not, I'm not fully convinced about this. See, verse number 24, that simple phrase, that this father says, Lord, I believe, help thou my unbelief. One, we see the source of his doubt, but at the same time, we also see the solution to his doubt. Right? What's the source? He says, mine unbelief. He's got 12 men that are following him who have no doubt God can do what needs to be done here. That The Lord can change this situation and fix this problem. They've seen him do it before. Matter of fact, there's, there's a multitude that are around him. The Bible says right before this that there was a multitude that came and, and they were just bringing people to Jesus and Jesus was healing them and touching them, healing and touching them and everybody's problems were getting fixed. They said, God can do this. But here the father said, this is my unbelief. It's on a personal level. Well, what had caused his doubt? Maybe the length of the problem or the length of the issue. Look at verse number 21. How long has this been going on? What Jesus asked him in verse number 21, he asked his father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? He said, oh, of a child. He said, this isn't something new. This problem has been here and it's been going on and it's been going on day after day after day after day. How many of us know tonight the longer a problem goes on? Sometimes we begin to doubt whether or not God's going to fix it, whether, God, whether or not God's going to change it, whether or not God's going to intervene on that. The longer the problem lasts, the more we doubt and the less we expect a solution. Well, it's just going to be this way for the rest of my life. Maybe the length of the issue caused his unbelief. Maybe the lethality, I don't think it's even a word, but I wrote it down, of the issue. Look at verse number 22. And oftentimes it had cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. But thou cannot do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And that's what the father says, not only has this problem gone on, he said, but one of these times, it's going to be the last time. He falls into the fire. He falls into the water, and I'm not able to rescue him. I'm not, I'm not able to pull him out. I'm not able to, 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 to save him from those situations. Maybe it was the fact it was a lethal issue. In essence, he didn't see it getting any better. This wasn't a small issue. It's life or death. And so many times in our life, right, we, we have no problem trusting God that he can provide for the little things in life, right, the, the small things we could call them. But sometimes when those issues are big in our life and they're big problems and they're, they're life and death scenarios to us, I don't know if God can. I don't know if this, if this is going to be the last time this is going to work out. Notice here, look what he said in verse number 22. Have compassion on it. He was talking to the most compassionate person this world's ever met. 
He said, look, listen, this is how bad it is. If you can do anything, have compassion on us. Why is it sometimes when we have those great problems in our life, we begin to doubt the character of God? Lord, if you really loved me, you wouldn't let this happen. Lord, if you really cared for me, you wouldn't let this happen. Lord, if you really had compassion, you wouldn't let this happen. But the reality is, even when those problems arise in our life, he's still loving, he's still merciful, he's still graceful, and he's still compassionate tonight. And we, we ought not to forget that tonight, but sometimes when it's that, that, that life or death problem, we begin to doubt the character of God. Maybe it was the length of the problem. He began to doubt there's ever going to be a solution. Maybe it was the lingering effects of the issue. Look at verse number 17. And one of the multitude answered and said, here's the father master I've brought unto you, unto thee my son which hath a dumb spirit. Now, he wasn't using it like we do when we, we laugh at somebody who's tripped over their feet and fallen or, or done something that is, that is out of character and it just isn't right. But that word dumb means he, he's, he's no longer speaking. He's no longer talking. He's no longer making noise. It means mute or silent. And here's the thing, when our doubt goes unchecked, when our doubt goes unresolved and, 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 un, and not brought before the Lord and dealt with in a biblical sense, in the correct sense tonight, when we allow doubt to run rapid in our life, you guarantee it, your testimony will become silent. People begin to ask you, well, what about this, what about that? Here's what you say, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about that right now. And so here's a father, we see the source of his doubt. He said, this is mine, unbelief. I'm not saying it's theirs or theirs or theirs. He said, this is mine, and here's the reasons why. But at the same time, he said, Lord, here's mine, unbelief. But look what he says right there in verse uh, number, somewhere in there, I just lost, verse number 24. Lord, I believe, help thou, my unbelief. He said, Lord, here's my belief, my unbelief, and Lord, I need help with it. Lord, would you have, see, in essence, he, he gives us the source, but then at the same time, he gives us a solution. Go to the Lord. Ask the Lord for help. It's a sincere plea. He said with tears. In essence, he's not saying, all right, Lord, I mean, you just do whatever you want to do. Okay, the Bible said he's, he's now I'm not saying that you have to, that the only way you know if somebody's sincere or not is they're crying, because if you've ever raised kids, there are such things called crocodile tears. Right, but at the same time, you can tell, oftentimes tell when somebody's sincere. And here he is, he is, from the essence of his being, he's saying, Lord, I need help. I need help with my doubt. I need help with my discouragement. <laughs> here, in essence, he's saying, Lord, help me so my son can get some help. Right, Lord, get me straight, and then I have no doubt you can take care of my son. Help thou my unbelief, he said it with tears. In essence, he left the critical crowd. I guarantee you, he was probably looking at the disciples like, you said, Jesus gave you power over unclean spirits. Come on, here he is. Do something. Maybe the voices of the scribes had echoed in his ears and he had begun to join the crowd. And now he said, Lord, no, I need help. I need help. There's a sincere, sincere plea. Then it was a significant plea. Mine, unbelief. Here's the thing. We don't often struggle with core beliefs, Right? doctrine of eternal security, doctrine of salvation, doctrine of baptism, right? We get those. We understand that. We, we believe those things to be true. We know them to be true because it's what the word of God says. But so many times it's in those personal areas of life, personal relationships, personal problems, personal issues tonight that we begin to doubt. Lord, Lord, as much as I believe that I'm eternally saved, Lord, help me with this personal matter in my life. It's amazing to me how many times that I know I'm going to go to heaven when I die. I, I just believe that's what the Bible teaches. I, I'm going to hold to that. 
But I can't tell you how many times I, I've sat at, at, during a month or sat looking at, at bills and said, all right, Lord, I don't know how we're going to do this. If he can get me to heaven <laughs> when I die, if he can forgive every single one of my sins, I guarantee tonight he can take care of you. But so many times it's in personal issues. That's where we begin to doubt God. And here's the thing tonight. And sometimes it's not working in our life and it's not going like it's supposed to because you and I are operating in doubt and not belief. Our heart is controlled by doubt and not belief. Lord, help me to believe in my personal matters just as much as I believe in you in general truth tonight, the, the general doctrine of the Bible tonight. Let me ask you, is your heart controlled by unresolved doubt tonight or is it guided by realized truth? This father said, if there's anybody gonna help me, it's gonna be you, Lord. Help thou my unbelief. When things aren't working, we need to check for an unbelieving heart. Notice number two tonight, when things aren't working, we need to check for an unyielded private life. An unyielded private life. Verses 25 through 27, Jesus heals this young man, casts the evil spirit out of him, evil spirit leaves, they think the young man's dead, Jesus walks over there and says, no, he's not, get up, let's go. Problem solved. Everything is good and fine and wonderful. But there's something bothering the disciples. Look at verse number 28. And when he came into his house, his disciples asked him privately. They, they had a question for the Lord. Lord, not how did you do that? They knew the answer. He's God. He's got all power. They said, why could not we cast him out? Lord, why couldn't we do that? I mean, you commissioned us, Lord, and you told us that's what we're gonna do and that's how we're to do it. And we, we did all that, Lord, and it didn't work out. I said, the essence, you ever struggle with something? I'm talking about you know, doing something like mechanical, doing something with your hands. You struggle with it, struggle with it, struggle with it, and you get frustrated with it and somebody comes behind you with ease and no effort, does exactly what you, you were struggling to do, and you say, how did you do that? And they'll say something along the well, I'll just hold my mouth right. Thinking all the comedians out of work. You trying to be one yourself. And so the disciples asked, Lord, why, why couldn't we cast this spirit out? <laughs> curiosity might have killed the cat. But here in the disciples' life, curiosity brought conviction. They said, Lord, why couldn't we do that? Why couldn't we cast out this uh, evil spirit out of this young man. The disciples were expecting to enhance their performance. Jesus is going to teach us how to do it. He's going to give us one, two, three, A, B, C, and next time, evil spirit, you better watch out. We're fixing to walk up in there. We're going to cast you out. <laughs> and Jesus said, hold on a second. Here's why you couldn't do it. He didn't say because you didn't hold your hand just right when you were saying in Jesus' name. He didn't say because you didn't use voice inflection when you were talking to the evil spirit. Jesus said, these, this kind, come forth by nothing but by prayer and fasting. He said, the reason why the evil spirit wouldn't come, he said, it wasn't because your performance wasn't right. He said, there was something lacking in your private life. There was something missing in your private life, your, your private walk with the Lord, your, your intimate relationship with the Lord. And here's the thing tonight, the same is true tonight, right? Here's the thing, if you're not willing to get your, your private life with the Lord together and right where it's supposed to be, you'll live the Christian life performance-based. 
And we see here tonight, and I want to show you there's a great danger with that tonight, but we're going to look at this thought of, of where were they lacking because if Jesus said this kind only come by prayer and fasting, he would say, had you been praying and had you been fasting, this probably would have worked. And so in essence, he stops back and said, ain't none of y'all been in here praying and fasting. That's what it says in the original text. Jesus had a little South Augusta, Hepsiba, <laughs> Richmond County in him. But we see it tonight, that's what we're saying. If this would have been right, right? If your private life would have been yielded to me and given to me, you would have had the power that was needed in the understanding and the discernment to know how to deal with this young man. He said, but this kind only comes by prayer and fasting. And the same is true in our life tonight. There are some things in the Christian life that are not achieved by performance. Right? You, you can't put enough money in the plate. You, 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 you can't read enough of the Bible, so to speak. You, you can't memorize enough scripture. It's going to take you getting alone with God and, and having that relationship with God and then partaking in this action of fasting. I know that, that's, that's, that's a dangerous word to preach in the Baptist church. But notice what he said here. He said, here's where you're lacking. He said, you're lacking in your prayer life. Your fellowship time with God. That time spent with you in the Lord. Here's how we oftentimes view prayer. Be careful what you ask for. The Lord might just give it to you. Don't ask for patience. Hey man, it's a fruit of the Spirit. If you're going to be Spirit-filled, you're going to have to need, you're going to have patience in your life. It's going to be evident in your life. But notice here tonight, he said, you know, their fellowship with God was off. We, we view it like it's, it's that request. And there's nothing wrong with that tonight. But if that's the only facet of our prayer life is us bringing our requests before the Lord and the requests of others before the Lord, we're missing out on the great reality of what prayer really is. It's a time of me and you communing with the Lord. In essence, here's, how, here's our mindset of prayer, how it ought to be. If we're going to prepare for situations like this, if we're going to get, uh, if things are going to work like they're supposed to work in our Christian life, our prayer life isn't just, Lord, I'm going to ask you for this, but rather, Lord, I know there are situations out there in my performance alone I cannot handle, I cannot fix, I cannot solve, so Lord, I'm coming to you so I can understand when that time comes how I'm to deal with those things. That communion with God. Lord, would you start preparing me now? We were talking about prayer a couple of months ago, and oftentimes we, we, we think that prayer is me and you getting God together on our will. Lord, here's what I want. Here's how I want you to do it. And thank you, Lord. It's not that way. It is God taking us and getting us in tune with his will through spending time with him. Notice their fellowship with God was lacking. But then he brought out fasting. Fasting. Their seriousness with God. I heard it said that there's two places most Christians will never volunteer. In the area of fasting and work in the nursery. There's two places that they just, you struggle to find volunteers in. And here's the thing, we, we, we typically mention fasting three or four times in the year. It's on the fifth Sunday right before we go eat. We'll say things like this, I'll, I'll pray on fasting tonight or today because it's fifth Sunday and we're fixing to go in there. And then we ought to pray on gluttony or preach on gluttony, all those kind of things. But let me ask you, when was the last time you fasted for a spiritual reason? I'm not talking about you, you dare to be a Daniel and you're on the Daniel diet. I'm not talking about you woke up late so you didn't eat breakfast. I'm talking about you purposely set out and said, all right, Lord, instead of me feeding myself, instead of me uh, uh, giving those nutrients and all that stuff that I need, Lord, I'm going to push that away. I'm going to pray about this certain situation, and I'm going to ask you for discernment about this certain situation because, Lord, it's that serious to me. 
It's that big of a deal to me. You don't have to, <laughs> here's the thing tonight, when was the last time you fasted for a spiritual reason? You don't have to get these things right tonight, right? You can say, all right, preacher, ain't no big deal. I mean, thank you for the information. Thank you for the message, preacher, but I, I, prayer, fasting, I mean, I'm gonna be the one Christian that does without it. Right? I'm gonna be the one Christian that, that, that sidesteps that. That's for everybody else but me, preacher. That's not that big of a deal to me. You don't have to get these things right, but if you don't get these things right, your only option will be to perform or pretend. Right? Prayer and fasting isn't a, isn't a, isn't a, a uh, not, it's essential in the Christian life. It is not an elective of the Christian life. It is essential to the Christian life. Of, of faithfully partaking in it, because there's going to be some things in your life, in some scenarios in your life, that you'll only be able to face correctly and, and work in that sense if you've been praying and fasting. Well, I'll, I'll just perform, preacher, I'll pretend. Well, look at verse number 14. You can do that and you can draw the crowd. In verse number 14 of Mark chapter number nine, all of a sudden, he came to his disciples. He saw a great multitude with them, or about them, and the scribes questioning them. Here they are, they're performing, they're trying to make it work, they're trying to make it happen, and they've got a great crowd, but nobody's getting help. Problems aren't getting solved. Issues aren't getting fixed. You can perform and pretend in the Christian life, but nobody's actually gonna get any help. When things aren't working tonight in your life, when things are just like you're, you're just grinding gears and, and, and spinning mud, you need to step back and check for an unyielded private life. Have I been praying and fasting like God asked of me in the Bible? Well, nobody, here's the thing, nobody but you tonight can answer this question. Nobody but you will even know the answer to this question except for the Lord. But how much of your private life is yielded to the Lord? How much of our private life do we give to social media? How much of our private life do we give uh, to entertainment? How much of our private life do we give to anywhere else but the Lord tonight? Preacher, this just ain't working. It ain't just getting together. Let me ask you, what's your private life like tonight? We need to check for an unyielded private life. We need to check for an unbelieving heart tonight. Notice number three, when things aren't working tonight, we need to check for unsought understanding. Unsought or unfollowed understanding. You look at verse number 30 tonight of Mark chapter number nine. Jesus has healed a young man. The, the unbelief has been helped. <laughs> the, the unyielded private life has been dealt with. And then we get down to verse number 30. The Bible says, and they departed thence, and they passed through Galilee. And he would not that any man should know it. And he taught his disciples and said unto them, the son of man is delivered unto the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. So well, preacher, that doesn't really fit. Well, give me a second tonight. When you look at verse number 30, the Lord literally has just walked unnoticed through Galilee. You say, well, preacher, that's not a big deal. He's walking through a city. No, when you, when you study that, you'll find out that, and the best way I can pair that tonight is you have to compare Galilee to the CSRA. It was if somebody famous who's well-known, I mean, he was uh, you know, raised in Nazareth, which is part of Galilee. People there knew him. They had seen him. They, they had seen him do miracles there. They had heard his preaching there. And the Bible says he just walks through and nobody notices him. Nobody stops him. And he walks right through Galilee and not any man knows it. And then he tells his disciples in verse number 31, the son of man is delivered into the hands of men. And they're probably like, well, Lord, you literally just walked through a whole region and nobody noticed you. Can't you just disappear from them? Can't you just get away from these men that you're gonna be delivered to? 
How will they catch you? But there was something the disciples didn't understand. See, Jesus tells them all this, look at verse number 32, but they understood not the saying and were afraid to ask him. In essence, they didn't, they didn't seek the understanding that the Lord was willing to give them. They, they have questions about it. They're not completely understanding this. They're not completely getting it. The Bible says they're afraid to ask them. Let me ask you now, why were they afraid? Why would they be afraid to ask the Lord for understanding when it came to his death and it came to his resurrection? I mean, you would think, now, now this side, of course, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. We could step back and say, well, you know what? If it had been me, I'd asked him. I, I would have stopped and said, well, Lord, explain that a little bit further to me. Well, give me a second tonight. Maybe, maybe they were afraid to ask because of past experiences. See, if you flip back a chapter to chapter number eight, verse number 31, Jesus says something very similar to this. The Bible said, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected of the elders and of the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he spake that saying openly, look at Peter, and Peter took him and began to rebuke him. Right? Similar subject, same subject, same scenario. And Peter says, not so, Lord. Uh-uh, no, no, not you. Lord, you got this backwards. You got this wrong, right? And, and Jesus doesn't hold his tongue. In verse number 33 of chapter number eight, he says, he rebuked Peter saying, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. He's looking at Peter, but no doubt he's talking to Satan because that is the mindset, the heart, and the spirit of Satan to stop the work of God. And Peter said, I ain't asking him no more questions because last time I said something, he rebuked me openly in front of everybody. Maybe he was afraid to ask because of a past experience, but here's a big difference here tonight. Peter, in, ver in chapter number eight, Peter's not asking and Peter's not seeking information. Peter's trying to tell the Lord what to do. And the Lord sets him straight about that. He needed to be corrected here. But here they, they, they are not completely understanding and we know that God is not the author of confusion. I, I firmly believe that if they had stopped and asked and sought understanding, the Lord would have gave it to them. Maybe past experience, maybe the present explanation, what we just looked about in verses 28 and 29, they said last time we asked the question, Jesus brought on conviction and he dealt with our private life. Maybe they're still trying to recover from that. Maybe it's a lack of foresight. Oh, of course, Lord, everybody's gonna die someday. I mean, I hate that's the way you're gonna go. But who's, who's to say it's going to be this week or tomorrow or here shortly? They could have thought it's going to be 20 years from now. And so in their minds, well, it's not a pressing issue. It's not, a, it's not needful to deal with in the moment. And for whatever reason it was, they didn't seek understanding. And sometimes in our life, we find ourselves in the same scenario. Whatever the reason was, whatever the reason is, we don't seek the understanding even though we don't have the answer for what is going on in our life. We don't know the why or the how and we're okay with that when it ought not to be that way. We ought to seek understanding tonight. Here's the thing, and you go from this, the impact wasn't seen right there. It, was, it wasn't seen immediately. They kept following the Lord. Jesus kept preaching. Jesus kept teaching. He kept doing miracles until they were in the garden that night and they're betrayed by Judas with a kiss. They watched the Lord being taken away. And so we see tonight, had they stopped and asked for understanding, 
We don't know about that. Lord, what are you talking about? Can you explain that further to us? Can you give me some understanding about what you just said? I guarantee if they had done that, Calvary would probably played out a little bit different. Not say that Jesus wouldn't have gone to the cross and died on the cross, but I think for the disciples' accounts, now we know that there was only one there, and his, it was John. We watched, you can watch Peter deny the Lord, and the rest go into hiding. But I think if they had stopped right here and said, Lord, what do you mean by that? Lord, can you give me some understanding about what you just said? I think you might have found someone at the cross worshiping because they would have known what was going on. They would have known what was happening. They would have known what was taking place there. They could have stopped back and said, that's my Lord. He's dying there for my sin. He's dying for your sin. He's come to be the ultimate sacrifice for me and you. But because they didn't seek understanding and they didn't pursue it for whatever reason it was, they missed out on a great opportunity. They'd have been worshiping there and praising God instead of forsaking and hiding. Sometimes in our life, we allow loathing and pity to please us. And we find ourselves in a place where no Christian ought to be at tonight, but we find ourselves in a place where we're okay without understanding. And here's the thing tonight, if we don't understand why and what God is doing, we may not understand it completely. We may not understand it to the fullest tonight. I understand tonight that when we get to heaven, there's a half that hasn't been told, we'll get to know all that. I understand that tonight. When it comes to our trials in life and it comes to our problems in life, and we may not know in the moment, in the immediate time as things are taking place, but we serve a God of understanding. We serve a God of truth. We serve a God who is willing to, to take us and to give us the understanding. So don't allow yourself to, to, to stay there, but rather keep pursuing godly understanding. Grab your Bible and say, Lord, could you just give me some insight on what's going on in my life? God, could you give me some insight of why this is taking place? God, can you give me something as to why you're allowing me to walk through this trial and through this valley and through this storm that I might be able to use it, one, to bring glory to your name, but to help somebody else? And sometimes in our life when things aren't working, we need to step and check for unsought understanding. Have we just become okay with ignorance? Have we become okay with just, oh, this is how it's always gonna be instead of seeking, Lord, why? Lord, why? I had an English teacher in high school who told me the hardest question you'll ever answer is why. What's easy? Where's easy? How's easy? When's easy? Who's easy? He said, but why is the hardest question you'll ever answer? And tonight, there's gonna be some questions in life, some whys in life that you won't be able to find on Facebook. You won't be able to find on television. You won't be able to find, even in conversation with other people, you're gonna have to go to God's word and say, Lord, could you please tell me why? Let me ask you now, do you really think God doesn't have an explanation or are you just afraid to ask for it? You're afraid to ask for it tonight or do you really think God doesn't have an explanation? Three things to check tonight when things aren't working out. One, we need to check for unsought understanding. Have I neglected to seek godly uh, counsel and understanding about something? Have I, we need to check an unbelieving heart. Is there doubt in my life that is controlling me and not being dealt with correctly? And do I need to check for an unyielded private life? Have I given myself wholly to the Lord, not just for what everybody sees, but for what nobody else sees tonight. Let's pray.